Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Welcome to episode 52 of Crash Course Catholicism. This is the first episode of season two. How good. If you haven't listened to the introduction to this season, I recommend going back and doing that because it's going to give you an overview of the kinds of topics that we'll be covering over the next however long. But today we're going to start this season by looking at the mass. And I am so keen to spend some decent time on this topic because the mass is really at the center of our whole Catholic life. It is so important for us to understand it. Not just the Eucharist itself, but the whole Mass. I don't know about you, but I find it so easy to just like go through the motions at Mass and to forget what I'm actually doing. So we're going to spend the next two episodes thinking about how Mass works. So today we'll cover some kind of common foundational questions about mass. Things like, why do we stand and sit and kneel? Can anyone go to mass or is it just for Catholics? What's with all the bells and smells? What's the difference between the Latin mass and the novus ordo or the ordinary form of mass? And then in the next episode, we're actually going to walk through the mass. We're going to go from beginning to end and we're going to go step by step through what we do and why we do it. So these two episodes are going to perform a kind of double function. First of all, there'll be an introduction for people who don't know as much and would like to know more. But secondly, there'll also hopefully be a really useful refresher for people who do go to mass regularly. Like even for myself, as I was preparing this episode, there were so many moments where I was like, oh, so that's why we do that. And even things that I did know, I just appreciated so much more. And then I went to mass and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm experiencing this on a whole other level. <laughs> so hopefully that will be the case for some of you as well. So let's start with a really foundational question. What actually is mass? <laughs> like, what is it? And that sounds like a pretty basic question, but it can be something that we don't really think about. Like, what is actually the point of the whole thing? Sometimes we can treat mass almost like it's some sort of like spiritual concert or a presentation, right? Like we all rock up on a Sunday and we stand there and kind of watch a bunch of things happen. We watch the priest saying a bunch of prayers and then we like sing some hymns and receive the Eucharist and then we go home. Well, actually, the Mass is much more than that. It isn't something that we just watch. It's not something we just attend. It's something that we participate in. Mass is prayer. From beginning to end, we are praying. The priest is leading us in prayer. Even when we're listening to the Gospels or to the homily, we're still in that mode of prayer. It's that one hour a week where we go and we spend time with God. Now, we might hear that and think, okay, well, if the Mass is prayer, why can't I just like pray at home <laughs> by myself? Why do I have to physically go to Mass? Well, obviously, private prayer is a good thing, but there are a couple of reasons why the Mass is a unique and incredibly important form of prayer. It's the most important form of prayer. Firstly, it's a prayer of a community. At Mass, 
my connection with the whole church, the whole mystical body of Christ is strengthened. I'm there in unity with the church on earth and the church in heaven. Secondly, through the Eucharist, Jesus himself and his sacrifice on the cross, the central event of our Christian faith, are made truly present to us. And we become more united, more fully with Christ through our participation in the Eucharist. There's much more that we could say here about why Mass is so good and why it's so important. But if you want to think more about it, a couple of things. Firstly, you can go back to episodes 20 and 21 on the Eucharist. Secondly, you can check out a talk by Father Mike Schmitz called The Hour That Will Change Your Life. It is incredible. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, The Mass is a unique act of prayer and worship and union with God and the Church. So it seems like a pretty special thing. So then who can actually go to Mass? Like, is Mass just for Catholics or can anyone go if they want to? Well, the answer to that question is anyone can go. Everyone is so welcome at Mass. It does not matter if you've never been before and you're completely lost and you feel like a numpty and some old guy is staring at you because you clearly don't know what you're doing. It doesn't matter. Ignore the old guy. You are welcome at Mass. Now, important to clarify, the one thing that you won't be able to do if you're not a practicing Catholic is receive communion. Okay, it's the one thing that you won't be able to do. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode. But that does not mean that you're not welcome to attend Mass. You are so welcome. Now, if you're new to Mass, you might kind of rock up and feel a little bit lost. Like to an outsider, it can seem a bit random. Like there's all these responses and everyone seems to know them and I don't know them. And there's all this standing and kneeling. It's like everyone knows the choreography and we're totally lost and we're just kind of following along. Makes me think of when I went to my auntie's Les Mills dancer size class and everyone knew what to do. They all knew the choreography. And I looked like this uncoordinated scarecrow having like a fit up in the back row. I was so lost. So... If you are new to Mass, and actually even if you're not, it can be a really great idea to use either on your phone or in hard copy something called an Order of Mass or a Missal. So these are like programs that take you step by step through what's happening. The Order of Mass is a bit more bare bones. It's just the structure of the Mass. And the Missal has like the readings of the day, the responses of the day, etc. Now, there are a bunch of these online, so I'll put some links in the show notes. But something like that can help to make you feel a little bit less lost. And if you're a seasoned mass goer, it can also help you to stay focused. I know I use a missile pretty much every time I go to mass because I have ADHD and it helps me to kind of stay on track. Now, one of the things that people tend to find a bit disorienting when they first go to mass is that there's a lot of like kneeling and standing and sitting. And that can be confusing. Why do we do that? When do we do it? And why do we move around so much? Okay, well, first of all, Each of these three postures actually means something. Like it's not just random stuff that we do for funsies. So let's go through each of them and look at what they mean. So first of all, standing. Now standing is a posture of prayer. And this is a really good thing to remember that every time you stand up during mass, that prayerful attitude should immediately be switched on. It's like Pavlov's dog. I'm standing, I'm praying. I mean, it's switched on throughout the whole mass, but when we stand up, that's a signal that we're being called on to actively participate by praying, usually out loud. And this is something that Christians have done ever since the beginning. They've stood to pray. So why do we do that? Well, because it's a sign of respect and reverence. So you can think of, you know, when you stand up because someone important has walked into the room. Now, 
There is only one other time in the Mass when we stand, and it's not exclusively for the purposes of praying out loud. And that is when the priest reads from the Gospel. We stand up to listen at that point. Now, the reason that we stand to listen to the gospel is because in the gospels, we hear the words of Jesus himself. So it's a sign of respect for our Lord that we stand up to listen to those words. It's like that thing I was saying before. Someone important has walked in the room. We all stand up. And then the second posture is sitting. When we're sitting, we're generally listening and reflecting. So sitting is a kind of receptive posture, like you think of students in a classroom sitting to listen to their teacher. If we're sitting in mass, we're usually prayerfully listening. And I say prayerfully listening because it's not like a passive listening. We're not just sitting there and switching off. We're listening and praying and reflecting. Now, there are two key times in the mass when we sit and listen. The first is during the readings from the Old and New Testament before the gospel. And the second time is during the priest's homily, when we're listening to his reflections on the readings of the day. There's actually one more time when we sit during the Mass and we're not exactly listening, and that is during the offertory. So that's when we sit and look on as the priest prepares the bread and wine for consecration. It happens about halfway through the Mass. So in that moment, it's like a kind of prayerful witnessing. So Edward Shree puts it like this. He says, the congregation sits silently in awe as they watch the priest prepare. So in that moment, we're sitting and kind of witnessing, but generally we're sitting to listen. And then finally, we have kneeling. Kneeling means adoration and humility. So we see this all the time in like films and literature. When someone is confronted by something awe-inspiring and amazing, they drop to their knees. So when we kneel during mass, that's a sign that something really, really, really important is happening. So we kneel at the crucial points of the Mass, specifically around the Eucharist. When the consecration occurs, when the bread and wine become the body and blood of our Lord, we are kneeling. Okay, so that's a brief overview of the postures that we adopt during the Mass. Now, one thing to point out here is that standing, sitting and kneeling are outward signs of an inner reality. The main thing isn't that we do exactly the right thing at exactly the right time. The main thing is that I'm showing true respect and reverence for what's happening in the mass. So for instance, there might be a situation where say you've broken your leg and you physically can't kneel during the consecration. Okay. That's okay. So long as interiorly you are showing that reverence. Now, that's not to say that these postures don't matter. They absolutely do. And if we can adopt them, then we should. But they are signs of something that should be happening internally. Now, another thing that tends to kind of throw people a bit when they first come to Mass is the use of bells and incense. My mum calls this the bells and smells. Well, not just my mum. Lots of people call it that. But my mum does call it that. Okay, bells and incense, again, are symbolic and they happen for a reason. So let's start with bells. Basically, bells are used to indicate that something important is happening or about to happen. So one of the main times when bells are rung is during the consecration, when the bread and wine become the body and blood of our Lord. A bell is rung right before the moment of consecration, and again when the priest raises the consecrated host and chalice and shows them to us. The bell in that moment is like a little tap on the shoulder. It's like someone calling us to attention. 
I remember a friend telling me once that she was at mass and she was watching this little kid who was there with her mum. And this little kid had like a lot of energy. She was like lying across the pew and like crawling around on the floor, like pulling stuff out of her mum's handbag. But just before the consecration, her mum turned around and just tapped her on the shoulder. And the little girl knew exactly what that meant. She stopped what she was doing. She got on her knees next to her mum and she looked up at the altar and was just totally focused. It's really beautiful. So this little kid knew that a tap on the shoulder means that the most important part of the mass is about to start. And that's what the bells do for us. Sometimes we're a bit off with the fairies and then we hear the bells and we're like, oh, okay, focus, focus. This is really important. While we're on the subject of bells, here's a bell-related fun fact that I got from the Catholic Encyclopedia. You're welcome. So, you know how some churches have those like big church bells, like the big ones, and sometimes they ring them at the moment of the consecration. So St. Mary's Cathedral in Sydney does that, and you can hear the bells across the city. Apparently, that tradition started when people would be out like working in the fields during the week. And they couldn't necessarily be physically present at mass. So when the bells rang, everyone knew that the moment of consecration was happening at mass and everyone would pause and kneel down for a moment and then continue with their work. Isn't that lovely? I love that. Okay, now let's talk about incense. Incense symbolizes the good Christian's prayer, which enkindled in the heart by the fire of God's love and exhaling the odor of Christ rises up. So that's from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Basically, incense is a physical symbol of our prayers rising up to God. It's like it says in Psalm 141, let my prayer come like incense before you. I love how good the church is. Like she knows that we need to have something tangible to be physically reminded of stuff. So that's what incense does. However, incense isn't used at every mass. And in fact, it's it's often only used at like important masses or high masses. Now you might be aware that when it comes to mass, there are like different forms, different kinds of mass. So the form of mass that you would usually see in your local parish on a Sunday is called a novus ordo mass or the ordinary form of mass. But some people go to the Latin mass and other people go to things like a Byzantine mass or a Maronite mass. So what's the difference between them? Well, firstly, we have to distinguish between Eastern and Western Catholic rites. So what do I mean by that? Within Catholicism, we have the Latin rite or the Roman rite, which refers to the liturgy of the Western church. And then we have the Eastern rites. So there are five different Eastern rites. So things like the Byzantine and the Chaldean and the Alexandrian rites. So we have East and West. And different rites just means different liturgies, different, slightly different ways of celebrating the Mass. So the essentials of the Mass are the same across the board, but in different rites, smaller things change. So for instance, in the Byzantine rite, the mass is mostly chanted and leavened bread is used for the Eucharist, whereas in the Latin rite, unleavened bread is used. So the essential structure of the mass remains the same, no matter where you go, but then some things change between rites. Now, it's important to note, Eastern Catholic churches are not the same as Orthodox churches. So you might have heard of the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church. The difference between Orthodox churches and Eastern Catholic churches is that Orthodox churches are not fully in communion with the Catholic Church. So they don't accept some of the core dogmas of Catholicism, like the authority of the Pope. 
Eastern Catholic churches are fully in communion with the church. So if you're a Catholic, you can go to a Byzantine mass or to a Maronite mass. And if you go on a Sunday, then you have fulfilled your Sunday obligation, right? That counts as going to Sunday mass because it's the mass no matter where you go. So how do you tell the difference between Eastern Catholic and Orthodox? Well, it's kind of in the label, right? If it says Catholic, then it's Catholic. If it says Orthodox, then it's Orthodox. Now, Within the Latin Rite, so the Western Catholic Church, there are two main forms of the Mass. There's the ordinary form and the extraordinary form. Now, extraordinary means that it's not the usual form of the Mass, but it's still a valid Mass. Another name for the extraordinary form is the Latin Mass. So from 1570 until 1962, the church celebrated what we now know as the Latin Mass. That was the usual form of the Mass. And then after the Second Vatican Council in 1962, a new missal was released that contained some changes to the way that the Mass was said. And this is known as the ordinary form or the Novus Ordo Mass. So that's what you would usually see at your local parish. The Novus Ordo and the Latin Masses, again, share fundamentally the same structure, right? The essentials are the same. However, there are a few key differences between them. So for instance, the Latin mass is celebrated ad orientum. And that just means that the priest faces in the same direction as the congregation. So for most of the mass, he has his back to the people. And that's because he's praying to God on our behalf. So we are all facing God together. He's like the person at the front of a crowd of people. The Novus Ordo Mass is usually celebrated with the priest facing towards the people. However, it can also be celebrated at Orientum. Other changes include changes to the prayers that are used. There's a more simplified liturgy in the Novus Ordo Mass. The cycle of readings are different and a few other things like that. Now, the most obvious difference is that the Latin Mass is always celebrated in Latin, which is the official language of the Catholic Church. The Novus Ordo Mass can be celebrated in Latin. I've been to many Novus Ordo Masses that were said in Latin. However, one of the big changes that Vatican II made was allowing the Mass to be celebrated in local languages. So it used to always be in Latin across the board, but now if you go to France, the Mass is usually in French. And in Spain, it's usually in Spanish. In Australia, it's in English. But the Latin Mass is always celebrated in Latin. Now, the thing that's important to remember with all of these forms and liturgies and rites is that the mass is the mass. Whatever form we're attending, whatever rite, whether we're attending the ordinary or the extraordinary form or the Byzantine, whatever, we are celebrating the sacrifice of Christ on the cross made present to us here and now. All forms of the Mass that are recognized by the Catholic Church are valid, and they can all be incredibly rich and prayerful, especially when they are celebrated reverently. So it kind of is up to you, like your your preference, and that's completely fine. Now, if you have listened to season one, you might remember that in episode 34, we talked about how on a Sunday, Catholics are obliged to attend the whole Sunday Mass. In order to fulfill your Sunday obligation, you have to attend the whole Mass. You can't just like waltz in halfway through. However, there are situations where you might be a little bit late to Mass through no fault of your own, and that's okay. It still counts. You've still fulfilled your Sunday obligation. Now, as I said, we touched on this in episode 34, but we're going to just go into a little bit more detail about that here because I've had some questions from people. Now, some people have said to me, okay, 
all of that feels a little bit wishy-washy. Like when you say that sometimes you can be a little bit late to mass, how late do you mean exactly? Like how late is too late for mass? What's the exact cutoff point where I'm too late and now I haven't filled my Sunday obligation and I have to go to a different mass? Okay. The complicating factor here is that there is actually no official cutoff point. I've heard people say before that as long as you arrive before the gospel reading, then you're all good. That's actually not true. The church has never come out and said, this is the exact amount of mass that you have to attend for it to count. Now, there are two reasons for that. First of all, the church is wise and she knows that if there were a specific cutoff point, many of us, because we are human, would kind of take advantage of that. Like even without meaning to, we might have a little voice in the back of our head that's like, well, look, basically I just need to arrive before the gospel. Actually, the whole mass is important and we really should be there for the whole thing. I remember when I first started at uni, when I was like a rat bag 18 year old, there was a percentage of tutorials that you had to attend. Otherwise you would fail the whole course. And I remember sitting down at the beginning of every semester and like calculating exactly how much class I could miss out on and still pass the course. And then whenever I could, I would go and hang out with my friends on the smoking lawns instead of going to class because I just didn't care about my education. It was so bad. Okay. We can't have that attitude to mass. I'm not implying that everyone who asks this question does, but it is a tempting thing to fall into. We should love the mass. We should want to be there for the whole thing. In fact, what we should be aiming for is arriving a few minutes early if we can, so that we can prepare for the mass and be recollected. Now, the other reason why there's no official cutoff time is because the church is not being legalistic, right? What matters isn't the exact moment when you arrive. What matters is your intention and your inner disposition. So let's say that you're like a mom and a dad with six kids and you are doing everything that you can to get out the door on time. And then just before you leave, one of your kids like throws up all over you and then you have to go and get changed. And then your other kid like loses a shoe and then someone else has a random meltdown. And then by the time you get to mass, the gospel is just ending and there are no other masses that you can attend that day. Okay, in a situation like that, you might actually be less at fault than someone who was like only two minutes late to mass, but they were late because they were being a bit lazy and they just didn't make the effort. So we can't be too legalistic about it. The main thing is that we love the mass and that we do everything that we can to be there for the whole thing. Now, final topic of today's episode, why is it that we fast before mass? Now, not everyone realizes that this is a thing. Catholics are required to fast from food and drink, except for water and medicine, for one hour before we receive communion. Now, the reason that we do this is as a sign of respect for the Eucharist. Now, we might feel like, you know, fasting for an hour before communion, it feels like a big thing. Well, in the past, people had to fast from midnight the night before the Mass. That used to be the rule. And you can imagine everyone's like flocking to the earliest possible Mass in the morning because they haven't eaten since midnight the night before. These days, however... It's just a one hour fast and it's one hour before you receive communion, not before the start of mass. Now, it's really important that we honor that fast. I remember a priest saying this once to me. He was like, Caitlin, it's just such a small thing. (laughs) He was like, our Lord asks us for a sacrifice that's so small. And if we can't even give him that, like that would indicate a real lack of love. 
And just like arriving on time, ideally, we shouldn't push the fast. Like we shouldn't go like eat right up to the very last second so that we're eating just before that hour. And then we're sort of standing in mass checking our watch being like, I hope I've made the hour. Can you tell I've done that before? It's terrible. Don't do it. The best thing where possible is to leave a comfortable gap between eating food and receiving communion. So we've got a solid, easy hour. The best thing where possible is to leave a comfortable gap between eating food and receiving communion out of respect for our Lord. Now, what happens if I actually have eaten something in that hour before communion? This happened to me once where I thought that it was going to be a really long mass because it was Palm Sunday, which is usually like the longest mass. So I had a coffee and then it turned out when I got there, it was like literally the shortest Sunday mass I have ever been to in my life. And by the time I got to communion, it had only been like 45 minutes and not an hour. And I felt like such a ning-nong. Okay, in a situation like that, even if it wasn't deliberate, we should still refrain from receiving communion out of humility and out of respect for our Lord. Now, the good thing is, if it's a Sunday and you don't receive communion at Mass because you broke the fast, that's okay. You still have fulfilled your Sunday obligation. Like, you don't have to panic that now you have to go to another Mass or something. That's fine. The Sunday obligation means going to Mass, attending the Mass, participating in the Mass, but you don't have to receive communion to fulfill it. Now, some people, for medical reasons, can't fast, and those people are excluded from this requirement. So canon law states, those who are advanced in age or who suffer from any infirmity, as well as those who take care of them, can receive the most holy Eucharist, even if they have taken something during the previous hour. I love that. It's like our mother, the church, just really understands people. She's like, I get it. I get how you work. It's okay. I'm not going to make things too hard for you. It's beautiful. Okay. So that is all that we have time for today. In our next episode, we're actually going to step through the whole mass. We're going to go from the beginning to the end and talk about what happens in the mass and why. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Crash Course Catholicism. If you are enjoying this podcast and you'd like to support it, you can do so by subscribing and leaving a review. You can also become a patron on Patreon. But most importantly, please pray for me and for everyone listening to this podcast. Have a fantastic day. Bye.